You know, uh, good morning, everybody. I was sitting over here and fighting through technical difficulties and listening to uh, listening to Skip pour out his heart and talk about if you have a need, raise your hand. And I sat there for a moment and I said, Chris, you need to raise your hand. I'm no different than anybody else. You know, we're not any different. We're all the same. You know, am I dealing with stuff? Yeah. Back hurts. I'm stressed. I'm overworked. You know, anxiety, all kinds of things attacking my body. Woke up last night, way too much coffee yesterday. Thought I was having a heart attack. Scared me to death, middle of the night. Had to get up. Scared the girls. Yes, Lord, I need your healing. So when I was sitting there and I was listening, and Skip said, raise your hand. And then right now he was saying, you know, God wants to heal your heart. God told me, there's a few of us in this room who are suffering right now in the body, and I want to pray. So, Father, I pray right now your healing touch on our bodies, Lord God. Those, you know everybody here, Lord. We're not, we're not asking anybody to lift up their hands, Lord. You know who we are. And right now I pray healing on our bodies, Lord. Healing on our, might, on our minds, Lord. And I ask you to bring us relief from whatever it is that we feel that we're suffering from, Lord. I pray that right now in the name of Jesus. I thank you. Amen. Well... I'm always amazed when we get a packed house and things go wrong. I'm, I, I mean it in a good way. Be, so I did, uh, I did do some minor technical shifts to my microphone because I was like, sometimes I get up here and I go home and I listen to these online and I'm like, okay, how did it sound? So for the majority of it, I've had the microphone level set where you hear me just like this most of the time, and I have it up here, and then all of a sudden I put my mic. So, I've got the mic where I can keep it way down low, and they're going to hear me just fine at home. I hope you guys are hearing me at home. If you're not, send us a message on, uh, on the YouTube page. Oh, I see that. That was kind of cool. It is what it is. Listen, uh, I do see pretty much everybody in the house looks like a familiar face, but if you're not, and I've never got to know you or the church hasn't get to know you, this is a welcome card. This is where we call you and we harass you and we beg you to come to church. I'm just kidding. This is how we get to know you. We add you to our email list. We send out cool things, let you know what we got going on. Maybe send you a mass blast text message. You know, you have that option to type stop in all capital letters or we don't stop. Just kidding. Um, but anyways, if you are new, first time here, go ahead and fill one of these out. Uh, we've got them on the back table over there. So look, we're still in Abraham. We've been in Abraham. We're coming we're getting, we're getting ready to close Abraham out someday. <clears throat> I told you guys, um, so I was in a class. Boy, I'm, I might, I'm, you guys are going to have to forgive me. I might go five minutes over 11. Okay, I might. So, um, only five. 
Don't hold me to it. So I remember I was in this class, and I just remember, I'm going to say this right now. Greatest sermon series I ever heard was a pastor that Bibi and I uh, were under the leadership of for many years, Pastor David Mills down in Whittier, California, and he took us through a two-year journey through Exodus. Two years, and I mean breaking it down, going through church history books, scientific history, everything. I mean, using everything that history had outside of the Bible, putting it all together, and just really elaborately breaking down the time and going through Exodus. And I said to myself, when when I heard that message, I said, one day I want to be able to teach God's word that way. Because I could read a book of the Bible in 45 minutes. Some of them, they're pretty short. You know, minor prophets, there's nothing minor about them. They're just books are shorter. So... You know, I'm like, okay, so you can go through a whole book of the Bible pretty quickly. You know, it might take you a while to read the whole Bible. I've done that. Take you some time. But to sit there and really break this stuff down and go over it for two years, it was amazing. It was amazing. It was amazing. So I hope to one day, one day be able to do that. So if I looked at it like we're taking a journey through Genesis, I'm in the fourth month and we're still at Abraham, okay? And we started in Abraham. So I'm working it, okay? Um... So I thought this was rather ironic, too. I've been hearing a lot of good stuff from this. I have been getting a lot of good stuff from this. Because even in, I'm learning new things, too, because I'm reading this other book, uh, a, a book on Abraham, and then I'm, I'm, I'm going through my, uh, through my study Bible, and I'm pulling notes, and I'm bouncing around, and, and I'm digging way deeper than I've dug before on my own. Okay, so I'm really getting some good nuggets out of it. I hope I've been passing some on to you. So here's the funny, this is the God shot thing that happened for me this week. Um, last Sunday, I told you all, I said, all right, everybody, next week comes the promised son. <clears throat> I got home and I had a lot going on last Sunday and I knew I was going to be busy all week. So I was like, okay, I've got to do this sermon today, tonight. I don't care. I got to get all this put together. So I, I knew what we were going to teach on. So I went home, I prepared everything and I got it all done. And then I looked at my notes and I went, okay, I'm in Genesis chapter 21. But, last, but today, this morning, I was in Genesis chapter 19. So then I went back quickly, and I'm like, oh, no, I totally skipped a chapter. But it's okay, because I'm going to briefly summarize that chapter for you. Because we're going to be on the promised son. Then I'm going to lead you up to what was really ironic, one of those God shot moments. So uh, what happened in chapter 20? Here's what happened. Abraham travels south after the destruction of the plains of Sodom and Gomorrah. Abraham travels south, goes to another king's land. He dwells in the land, and what do you think he does? Same thing he did in Egypt. You're my sister, okay? When we go here, you're my sister. Now, I've been waiting 24 years for God's promise because God says he's going to do this great thing with us, but while we're here, I don't necessarily trust that promise, okay? So you're my sister. Well, we all know the story. The king was going to probably be with Sarah. They decide not to. He gets this dream. God shows up in the dream and says, hey, you're going to be guilty. And was like, whoa, whoa, they told me. That that's his sister. I'm, I'm innocent. So he says, okay, restore the man. Give him his wife back. Take care of him. He's a prophet. He'll pray for you. <laughs> so all that takes place. And then we find out something interesting in Abraham's story. Abraham says, well, I'm not really lying. Because technically Sarah's my sister because she's my father's daughter. So now you just found that out, right? Newsflash. That's his sister. Yes. We're glitchy today. I'm sorry, everybody, but hopefully the sound is right. So um, 
So Abraham stays in the land. The king restores his wife, gives him riches again. That's what happened in uh, Egypt, right? So he gets more riches, which he's not already rich enough, right? So he gets more riches. He stays in the land. He prays over the land. And all the women, including the king's servants, were childbearing during this moment because there was a curse on them because God stricken the childbearing process because of Abraham's deception to these people. So, okay, so that happens, and now we're going to move on. Now we're going to get to the promised son. But what was funny about this, well, I always put my sermon notes together, and I know exactly what we're going to teach on. I go through all my stuff, but I don't personalize this until the day before because I want this to be really fresh. So yesterday morning I got up, and I'm like, okay, I've got to prepare all my notes now on top of this sermon outline. So then I'm like, wow, this is where it hit me. I'm like, I wrote, I wrote it here down because I wanted to make sure I get all these points. I didn't plan exactly where I would be this Sunday, okay? I didn't. I mean, I, I know the direction we're going, but I don't have it planned out to the T. I mean, I'm just like, okay, sometimes I'm like, okay, next week we're going to talk on this. I get home and a chapter's pretty big. I'm like, okay, that's two weeks. Remember, I had COVID at the beginning of the year. Right after we commissioned me in, literally like a week or two later, I had COVID. I was gone two Sundays. So there's two Sundays out of the picture. Then... The council we talked about uh, during uh, last month's council meeting or the month before, we said, okay, we're going to do this uh, annual business meeting. Let's do a Sunday where we talk about Foursquare and what we are, what we believe. So I was like, okay. So we did that Sunday, right? I didn't have that planned in my plan. And then, uh, so then I'm sitting there yesterday and I'm like, okay, tomorrow we're talking about the promised child. The promised child's coming. And then I realized, wow, I'm going to be teaching on the first biblical promised child the week before Palm Sunday to the prophesied king who was going to be put on a cross for you and me and everybody else. We're going to go from from promised child to promised king, like Sunday to Sunday. And I was like, dang, God, that's good. I like that. So that was what happened yesterday morning for me. And, uh, So I was really excited. So I'm excited. So then I get here. We're a packed house. I met a new gentleman right here. I saw some faces come back, and I'm like, yes, God, you are so good. We have no camera. It's like, like, ah! Right? I'm I'm glad any time we're up against opposition. I am. When, when, When opposition comes up against me, I always know. The enemy's trying to stop me from something. And I just keep trudging. So we trudged away. We're online. It's a little glitchy. Sound is good. Volume's good. We're all here. And now we can get into this promised child sermon, okay? Let's do this. So we're looking at Genesis 21. I'm going to read it to you guys here. It's in your notes. And the Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah as he had spoken. So this is 25 years. 25 years. 25 years. Twenty five years. Waiting for a child, a promise. We get promises, right? Promise things to our friends, promise things to our spouse, 
parents, our children. Promises, right? 25-year promise here. For Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age, at the set time of which God had spoken to him. At the set time. So remember a year before God had visited and told him a year from now the promise is finally going to come true. And that's when she laughed in the tent. She still didn't believe it. And Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore to him, whom Sarah bore to him. They point that out in there. I know it's ironic, but it's, it's pointing out that this was the promise that was made to him originally through Sarah because he's already done, he's already gone outside of that. He's already like, okay, God, I get it. You're going to give me a child, but we've got to go through, through Hagar because uh, I don't think Sarah's going to, you know, she's not going to flip the bill. So it says, then Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old as God had commanded him. Now Abraham was 100 years old. So remember this journey started at 75. When his son Isaac was born to him, and Sarah said, God has made me laugh, and all who hear will laugh with me. She also said, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? For I have borne him a son in his old age. She's surprised here. She is still surprised. She's been told this was going to happen 25 years earlier. It's happened, and she is still surprised. I love that. Isn't that how we are with God when God does things for us? We're like, oh, I think, I think this is what God wants to do. And then it happens. You're like, yeah, I'm really surprised this happened. You're like, where's your faith? Where's your confidence in what you believe that God was going to do? You know, so, so here it is. It says, so the child grew and was weaned, and Abraham made a great feast on the same day that Isaac was weaned. And Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, whom she had born to Abraham, scoffing. You know what a scoff is? <laughs> Therefore she said to Abraham, Cast out this bondwoman and her son, for the son of this bondwoman shall not be the heir with my son, namely with Isaac. And the matter was very displeasing in Abraham's sight because of his son. But God said to Abraham, do not let it be displeasing in your sight because of the lad or because of your bondwoman. Remember, he'd already saved them when they already went out. Okay, so he's brought them back in. Says, now this time, don't be displeased. Whatever Sarah has said to you, listen to her voice. For in Isaac your seed, your seed shall be called. Yet I will also make a nation of the son of the bondwoman. We talked about that. And, uh, and because he is your seed. So Abraham rose early in the morning and took bread and a skin of water and put it on her shoulder. He gave it, to the boy, he gave it and the boy to Hagar and she sent her away and sent her away. Then she departed and wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba. And the water in the skin was used up and she placed the boy under one of the shrubs. Then she went and sat down. Crossed from him at a distance of about a bow shot, for she said to herself, let me not see the death of the boy. Now, he was a teenager at this time, because remember, he'd been born about 12, 14 years earlier. Let's do the math here. Uh, and it says, so she sat opposite him and lifted her voice and wept, and God heard the voice of the lad. And the angel of God called to Hagar out of heaven and said to her, what ails you, Hagar? Fear not, for God has heard the voice of the lad where he is. Arise, lift up the lad and hold him with your hand, for I will make him a great nation. Then opened, her not, then opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water, and she went and filled the skin with water and gave the lad a drink. So God was with the lad, and he grew and dwelt in the wilderness and became an archer. He dwelt in the wilderness of Paran, and his mother took a wife for him from the land of Egypt. So I found it really interesting that God still blessed Ishmael. And we know, we talked about this a few weeks ago when I told you the descendants of Ishmael are today your modern-day Muslim faith your descendants of Ishmael. So um, 
you know, there, there's just something ironic about God doesn't want to see anybody suffer. No. He doesn't want to see you suffer. He doesn't want to see anybody suffer. He may choose Mike and not have chosen BB, but he's not going to watch BB suffer. He's going to take care of BB and provide for BB. So I started to look at a lot of the things I was trying to get from this message, and I was thinking about promises, and, you know, here we are, the promised son. It's finally here, the promise, the promise, the promise. So this message is about promises. First thing I want to point out in their notes is that God, is, God isn't in a hurry, right? He is not in a hurry. He promises you something. Remember I told you guys, that this is the analogy I always use, when God's going to show up and do a miracle? You're at the Red Sea. The Egyptians are coming. You are about to die. You are pleading about your death, and that's when the sea opens up. Okay? You are at the end of the road. And you've been waiting for a miracle to happen since you've left. Right? So God is not in a hurry. So I wrote here, a, a small lifetime has passed, right? How old are you, Jenna? 25. I knew I was close today, right? I'm like, 25. A small lifetime has passed. 25 years for this promise, right? Has anybody here made a 25-year promise? Anybody here made a promise to a, a, a spouse, a parent, may not be with us any longer, a promise that you made long ago and you're still carrying it out? 25-year promise? Anybody? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> there you go. All right. So here we go. So in bullet point B, this promised son was finally born. And I like to use the word finally because don't we get to this point of relief, like finally. It's finally happening. I just want relief. I want to be set free from this uh, anticipation, right? Don't we anticipate? Here's why. Because we view time with an end, and because of that, we live in a hurry. We view time with an end. Because we all have an end. I'm a pre-rapture believer. What does that mean? Pre-rapture, uh, pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib. I'm a pre-trib believer. Okay? I believe the sky's going to open up and we're going to meet him, all of us who are faithfully connected. And I believe it said, you know, the Bible says that there's going to be believers that are here and they're going to suffer through the tribulation. I believe all those people are on the fence you've been trying to reach forever that kind of wondered and never made a decision. They'll be the ones. And then there's still going to be people who are just like, can't, don't believe that. So I'm a pre-trib believer. So I believe that there's going to come a time where I'm going to get caught up into the sky with the Lord. So when I say we view time with an end, because unless that happens, I know that I'm going to come to an end one day. I know that I'm physically going to come to an end one day, and everybody in this room is physically going to come to an end one day. But that's not how God views any of it. God's view of time is so much different. God views time as eternal. It, didn't, it doesn't have a beginning or an end. He is the beginning and the end. He is the beginning and the end of what we have a concept of time. He is that beginning and end. So God, unlike us, is in complete control of time. So when God makes a promise, you got to hold on to it. Because it could be 25 years. 25 years. Funny I just said that. God, you are so good. I remember being a young teenager 
in uh, our church, plugged in, and um, pastor's wife used to always come up to me. I was in the youth group. I was young. And I was a rambunctious young kid. And she used to say, you're going to be a pastor one day. You, you, you got that. I can see it. I'm 41 years old. 25 years later. Here I am. Wow. Right? Let's look at something else about God. God does not break promises. You can make a promise and you break it. God doesn't break promises. Ever. He doesn't make promises. Everything he ever promised or planned on doing, he planned it then and it's still coming true today. God doesn't break his promises. So if God's promised to do something in your life or with someone you love or with some, just if God's made a promise to you, listen to what I'm saying. It could take 25 years, but if God made the promise, he's not going to break it. Okay? His promises are woven into the fabric of time. That's what I'm trying to get at here, right? God has established times for everything. Established times. You go back to when Abraham was on the earth, 2000 B.C., there's going to be a great nation come out of you. Well, the Savior didn't come for 2,000 years, and here we are 2,000 years later after that, still waiting for the return of our king. God has established times, and Timothy talks about the end times and the way that pretty much everybody is today. Take a look around. I'm waiting for my pre-trib opening here, okay? Right? Amen? I see Skip back there. He's smiling. He's feeling it. He's like, God's coming. We're almost done. Amen? Now, let's look at some things I wrote here. God's promises are linked to their context. There's some things that we do as believers when we read God's word. Try to manipulate it to work for us, right? God made this promise in the Bible, so that counts to me. Uh, How often do we hear that? We hear that in messages up here. I'm not doing that, but you've heard these kind of things. We're going to look at today, what do you mean, Chris? Make an example. Thank you, I will. Let's look at some universal promises. What is a universal promise? That means it's good for everybody. The first one is Matthew eleven twenty eight. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. That is a promise, a universal promise from Jesus to all of us. This is a universal promise. This is a promise from the Bible that you can grab and hold on to and believe that God will do this for you. And I said God doesn't what? He doesn't break his promises. John 3.36, he who believes in me, that's number two. John 3.36, he who believes in the Son has everlasting life. It doesn't say uh Don T. from 14 A.D., he believes in the Son, and he's going to have every. It doesn't say that. It says he or she. He at that time meant they, but let's not get into that. <laughs> okay. He or you or she who believes in the Son has everlasting life, and he who does not believe in the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. God doesn't break his what? Oh, did you hear the second half of that promise? Let's read it again. He who does not believe the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. 
That's unfortunately a universal promise for those who don't grasp on to the good news. Okay? John 5.24, Most assuredly I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment but has passed from death into life. This is a universal promise. You have a pass from above to say these things and believe that they are for you. You claim these promises. I want you to claim these promises. In fact, the more often that you claim these promises, the closer you are in connection with the Father and the more that you are radiating the light of Christ when you are not in this room. Okay? Because when you're focused on Jesus, you don't become sinless, but you sin less. Okay. So remember, that list that I gave you is promises. Those are universal promises. Now let's look at some personal promises from the Bible that people grab onto. And they're like, that's, what, that's a promise God made to me. Now, I'm not saying that if you're not in a weird, funky place in your life, and you don't know what's going on. The world's upside down. And all of a sudden, one week before this, you decided to dive into some Bible study. And you land in this verse the day that your life is coming to an utter turmoil end in your mind. Yes, God's probably expressing something to you. But let's just not try to grab these promises and take them out of context. Verse 1, Exodus 3.17. This is a personal promise. This is not a universal promise. This is a personal promise. And I have said I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites to a land flowing with milk and honey. Is this promise for you? No. This was a promise that God made to the Israelites while they were in bondage in Israel, in Egypt, and they were being promised that they were going to go back to the land of Canaan in the land of all these people, the Canaanites, the Hittites, unless you're going to move to Canaan, this is not the place where you're going. This is not, some, this is not a universal promise. This is a personal promise. 2 Samuel 7, 16. And your house and your kingdom shall be established forever before you. Your throne shall be established forever. Line of David here. Promise made to David about the coming Savior. This is a personal promise to David. It's in the Bible. God doesn't break his promises. But this is not a promise that God made to you. Is he going to establish you in your bloodline? I don't know. You can't grab this verse and say that. Well, what do you mean, Chris? Well, I'm going to go deeper here. Genesis 15, 5. He brought him outside and said, Look now toward heaven and count the stars if you are able to number them. And he said to him, So shall your descendants be. This is a promise to Abraham. We're reading about Abraham. This is a promise to Abraham that he's going to be the father of many nations. Okay? Including... He's going to have another son before Isaac, who's also going to be a big nation. So there's a lot of promise here. So when I say these promises don't apply to just anyone, let's take something where I'm going to say you can't take this out of context. At 75 years old right now, you're not going to meet Mrs. Wright, and God reveal to you both that you're most likely going to have a child, and then at 100 have a child. Okay? You can't just say, but the Bible said that God did this for Abraham and Sarah, so I believe he's telling me he's going to do that for me. This is not, this is, this is grabbing promises out of context and using them in the wrong way. So, 
Common sense tells us that if you get married in your 70s and you wait 25 years, you're most likely not going to have any more children, unless you're still able to have children. But remember, Sarah was barren. Sarah was past her time of childbirth. So you see, you see my point, guys? Universal promises, personal promises. Our series in Abraham has been a list of personal promises for Abraham. Okay. Next two weeks, we get to focus on some... I'm sorry, did I say... I said, okay. Abraham's had a lot of personal promises. Next few weeks, we're going to focus on our Savior. And those are a lot of universal promises. Eternal life, salvation. So come back next week. I'm not going to talk about Abraham. I promise. Okay? Um, look at that. Five minutes. Not bad. So listen. I started late and finished. Decent. So look. Um, promises. There's one promise I lean on in the Bible. It's a simple verse. I say it a lot. That if you believe in your mouth, believe in your heart. Wait. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. There's no complication to that. There's no fine lines. Because it takes a lot of courage and faith to look at somebody and say, Jesus Christ is my Lord and King. How many times have you had those conversations with people in your life? They feel pretty uncomfortable sometimes, don't they? So let's look at, let's take ourselves out of our comfort zone here and let's say it again. That if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So I encourage you this week, share your faith. We're coming into the season where the CEOs show up. I call them Christmas and Easter only Christians. They don't go to church all year. They went to church when they were a kid. They're, un, they're churched yet unchurched. Okay, They're not plugged into a church anywhere. They, they live their lives like they want. Right now is the season of harvest. Right now is the season of salvation. We're moving up to Easter Sunday, guys. Resurrection Sunday, guys. What are we doing here? We're preaching about Jesus. We're telling people that Jesus loves them. We're telling people that Jesus died on a cross for you. We're telling it with our mouths because we believe it in our heart because it's hard to say something you don't believe. This is what we're doing. Right now is the season. Invite, invite, invite. Come back next week. We're here every Sunday, 10 o'clock. We might do one in the park in Marysville this summer. Going to be an amazing time. I, we're, we're trying for this. I just want you guys to know. We're trying to do a park day. And we'll even be here live streamed if it's possible. I'm gonna, we're going to lean on Greg. And I don't want to put too much pressure on him. Pressure. We want to live stream from the park. And if you still come here because you don't want to be outside in the summer, I understand. You'll still be able to watch our service online or at home, whatever. But... We're going to get out and we're going to do more than just sit ourselves in this locked space. We can do this every Sunday, but I want us to get out and we're going to tell people about Jesus.
That's our charge. That's what we're doing. We have a mission. We all have a promise. Universal promises. Because Jesus died to save you. And you. And you. And you. And you. And Dale. And me. And this lovely family. And Rich. I see you back there. We serve a greater purpose than just coming in here every Sunday. When we talk about communion and Paul talks about being right with God, we're not talking about make sure you're without sin when you take. We're talking about make sure you're doing it for the right reason. Why are we here every Sunday? Why do I take time to prepare these things and come up here every Sunday? Because I serve a greater purpose. I love you guys. I love this church. I, I could go 20 more minutes and just keep, you know, you got to put me in Greg Laurie at the Anaheim Stadium or something. Uh, anyways, I love you guys. I want to dismiss you. Skip, do you have a small song or something? A little background? I love it. Intimate. Very intimate. So let's pray. Father, Father, I pray over everyone here. I pray over our empty seats, Lord, that you're going to fill them with a new face, Lord. Father, we're not trying to bring in the well. We're trying to bring in the sick. Help us invite the sick, Lord. Help us grow your church, not shift the church around. The church is your body of believers, Lord, and I pray that you just bring people that don't know you, Lord, and we can, and we can introduce you to them, Lord, and give us the power to do that, Lord. I pray over our bodies, I pray over our hearts, I pray over our minds, I pray over our lives. Lord, bless this people for the rest of this week and the rest of their lives, Lord. Bless them as they go out and do your will, Lord. Bless them as they go out and tell people and they confess with their mouth that you are Lord. Bless them in that, Lord. I thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.